gentlemen, this is Chris Wright with Point Counterpoint, brought to you by KUST, University of St. Thomas, Campus Radio, and I'm feeling like I'm in kind of a steamy mood right now. Hold on a moment. Forgot to turn the recording light on. Just to show everyone, hey, I'm recording. All right. I think that's pretty important here. All right, so I got some stuff to talk to you about today, but I think first I want to give a shout-out to myself for doing an episode last week on Thursday. That was the day after my main weekly show, and I interviewed Harry Giramand from the Bloodstained Men organization. And what it is, is it's a it's a nonprofit that focuses on raising awareness to stop people from circumcise from generally genitally mutilating their children. Alright? So if you're interested in that, go check out Bloodstained Men. And even if you don't want to donate to them, you don't have to. Just find out about it if you'd like. And if you want, you can add them on Amazon Smile. And for those of you that don't know what Amazon Smile is, all it is, it's very simple. All you have to do is simply go to smile.amazon.com. And that allows you to choose any nonprofit that you like. You can choose anything. You can choose Bloodstained Men is one of them, of course. But there's also, you can choose your church if it's available. You can choose your church. You can choose the Nature, nature Conservancy, anything that you'd like. If you want to help the environment, if you want to help your church, if you want to help raise awareness on routine male genital mutilation, whatever you'd like to do, it's available. So... And also check out that podcast I just mentioned now. It's my le- it's the episode before this one. It's it's called number thirty three, I believe thirty four. And I interview Harry Germand, who is one of the directors, one of the leaders in the website, one of them. But very very interesting thing to listen to. All right, enough of that. I'm not going to talk any more about it because I already talked about it in the last episode. I don't know what accent I'm doing right now. It's not a British accent. I suppose, if the, if anything, it's more of a... You know, it reminds me of Ron Burgundy, except it's it's really kind of a... of a... what's the name of it? Uh, oh, I... Mid-Atlantic accent, that's the name of it. Mid-Atlantic accent. It's also called Shitty British. Because it's almost British, but it's not quite. And it's uh, it was actually quite common in old movies, where they're told to enunciate very well. But also... To so, um... 
Let me just show you a little information here. In the 1920s and up through the 1950s, Hollywood had a particular way of talking. Come around about noon tomorrow. Well, what are you doing up there? Impersonating a book cover? Really? Really. It was called the Mid-Atlantic or Transatlantic <laughs> accent, but we don't speak like that anymore. So what happened? To know why it disappeared, we need a little history. The accent is sort of a British-American hybrid. Linguistically speaking, it has three main tenets. One, drop the R, like mother and father. Two, mother. emphasize the T, like writer and right. winter. And three, soften your vowels like dance and car. And this accent was acquired, so there's no line tracing it back through history. Some believe it came out of early radio when bass tones were difficult to hear, but many attribute its popularity to writer Edith Skinner. She actually wrote a book called Speak with Distinction, which was the book to help you learn the accent. Either way, it was a language for the American upper class. People like FDR, Katherine Hepburn, Cary Grant, they all used it. But after World War II, the accent dwindled in popularity. With a growing middle class, an aristocratic accent was no longer fashionable. As for Hollywood, acting methods changed and the accent was just too fake. So it disappeared, mostly. If you've ever seen the show Frasier, Niles and Frasier spoke with an updated mid-Atlantic accent. To let the woman I love die before your eyes, that's right, I said I love her! <laughs> Lovely. As you can see, I wasn't doing, I wasn't doing, yes, I wasn't doing a perfect mid-Atlantic accent, but it was close enough that it made me think of it, made me think of it quite a bit, as a matter of fact. Yes. But I think it's a very interesting thing to think of, darling. What else is up? Whoops. There we go. Okay, so another thing that I was look thinking about is we need a new national bird. Actually, I thought about... <laughs> I was watching the Jim Jeffrey show, and he brought up an interesting idea, and actually I'd already thought of this before, but it was the fact that the bald eagle really isn't that great of a choice when you think about it. Like, I mean, first of all, it's not even endangered anymore. I think it might be threatened, maybe. Here, but as Jim Jeffrey... Oh, no, it's least concern. Okay. Um, <laughs> But as as he said in the show um it's just even though it's 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 made a, it's uh, numbers have come in leaps and bounds it's still it's it's still sucking on the government's teeth <laughs> which made me laugh um which is why i agree with him let's make the pigeon our national bird and a lot of people hate pigeons which is stupid and I will stand by that opinion because the pigeon is an amazing bird completely amazing so many different varieties of them
human history is intertwined with some of Earth's mightiest species. But there is one graceful creature that rises above the rest. Only when seen in its ideal habitat can we truly appreciate this king among birds. Behold the noble pigeon. If you think they're only good for pooping on statues, then think again. In On the Origin of Species, Charles Darwin presented an idea that changed the world. He knew if he was right, this idea was gonna turn science on its head. So in chapter one, you know what he chose as his very first example? It wasn't the tortoises or finches or even the giant fossil armadillos he found during his journeys. He chose pigeons over giant fossil armadillos. But he had a good reason. And if you think otherwise, then you've never seen fancy pigeons. <laughs> These are the birds that got Darwin's attention, because underneath all that feathery fashion is just one species, like dogs with wings instead of rats with wings. All that variation was tweaked from one ancient mold, the wild rock dove. Thousands of years before they were eating old hot dog buns out of the trash, these birds were found on seaside cliffs. But pretty much as soon as cities sprung up, they moved in. Because to a pigeon, a building is just a cliff with better architecture. Pigeons are uniquely suited to city life, but they were only able to conquer all of Earth's urban areas because we brought them there. Why? Because we like feeding them to ourselves. In <laughs> fact, from Egypt to Rome to the early Squab. 20th century, the main roles of a pigeon were dinner or something for rich people to breed into silly shapes. <laughs> Over time, here and there, a few of these domestic birds escaped and returned to a wild life. They just never left the city. But for some reason along that journey, our opinion of pigeons went from this the birds to this. We're poisoning pigeons in the park. Watch pigeons pecking at the sidewalk and you're not looking at the smartest birds in the tree. They can't solve puzzles like crows. They can't talk like parrots. A pigeon's brain is only about the size of that fingertip. But like most things in nature, there's more to the story. Most of their skull is eyeball. If they were the size of humans, their eyes would be as big as grapefruits. Those huge eyes have five color receptors compared to our three, letting them see things we can't imagine. One pigeon named Linus was trained to remember nearly a thousand images. Pigeons can peck out a Monet from a Picasso. They can even judge if a child's drawing is good or bad. Pigeons can tell correctly spelled words among misspelled words, as if they weren't annoying enough. They can even put groups of objects in numerical order, which sounds easy because we're smart, but pigeons do numbers as well as monkeys do. Pigeon vision is the bomb, literally. During World War II, psychologist B.F. <laughs> Skinner tried to turn these birds into weapons. He trained pigeons to keep an image so awesome. centered on a tiny screen by pecking at it. He hooked this up to a navigation system and then loaded it inside of a bomb. He wanted to create explosive missiles piloted by kamikaze pigeons. He built several successful prototypes using money from the General Mills Cereal Company. 
Yes, the people who make Cheerios. But the army never let it get off the ground. Pigeon navigation goes a lot farther than bird bombs. Just like human city dwellers, pigeons are commuters, flying out in the morning to find food and coming back at night. They're tightly bonded to their home, and this instinct is so strong that we've used them as messengers for centuries, like Flapchat instead of Snapchat. Before Paul Reuter founded a global news service, he used pigeons to deliver news. During World War I and II, racing pigeons with names like Cher Ami and G.I. Joe were given actual medals for delivering messages under fire. How are pigeons so good at finding their way home from places they've never been? Different experiments have found pigeons use visual maps, Earth's magnetic field, the angle of the sun, even smells to navigate. But when scientists knock each of these senses out, some birds can still find their way home. What we do know is pigeons use a lot of senses, maybe even some we don't know about yet. Even though pigeons are everywhere, there's one thing you never seem to see. Baby pigeons. They do exist, and they are ugly. But it's a reminder that even a bird that's everywhere only gives us glimpses into its life. Darwin's ideas about natural selection were born on a voyage around the world, but you don't have to go to exotic places to have your mind blown by evolution's awesomeness. Darwin knew that, and that's why he picked the pigeon to introduce the world to his theory. If you know where to look, wildlife is everywhere that we are. Just make sure that if you look up to admire it, you keep your mouth closed. Stay curious. I want to thank our friends from BBC Earth for helping us make this episode because Alright. I hope that changed everyone's opinions. We need to make them the national bird. And here's 18 reasons the pigeon should be Britain's national bird. 18 reasons. Um... All right, so number one, uh, right, number one, like us, pigeons are one of the very few animals actually thriving in modern Britain. Number two, pigeons always seem to, to be traveling in a crowd. They love kebab shop ch chips. Pigeons can withstand an infinite amount of drizzle. They rush around in frantic yet somehow pointless urban days, which is how we feel all the time. David, David Cameron looks a bit like a pigeon. <laughs> of course, he's not the prime minister anymore. Uh, urban pigeons do as little exercise as possible. They don't even fly out out of their, your way. If pigeons could talk, we reckon they'd be really sarcastic. <laughs> this is just comedy. This pigeon on Twitter has more than 100,000 followers, and we can all aspire to that. I am on a sofa. The sofa is in a skip, and pretending I have my own chat show, yep, guess this week are all a small box of pencil and a half kebab. What? At Pigeon John. There we go.
<laughs> My name is John, and I'm a fucking pigeon. Okay. Hey, John. All right. They're drawn gray like our drape grass guys and our drab gray British hearts. <laughs> Pigeons live in all Brit Britain's constituent countries, therefore should have been the official mascot for the Better Together campaign. Pigeons actually use our motorways to travel across the country, and they do a better job of navigating them than us. That would definitely be true. Pigeons have an irrational hatred of the French. <laughs> actually, we say irrational, but the French do eat qu quite a bit of pigeon. Pigeon also Pigeons also have very little time for Americans, on account of them hunting the passenger pigeon to extinction. Oof! You know what? You know what? I think, I think us Americans just got rickrolled. Paloma is the Spanish word for pigeon, and Paloma Faith just won a Brit Award. Ever tried to make eye contact with a pigeon? They really don't want to. Just like all British people, pigeons have their own distinctive dialect. Pigeon English? <laughs> I love that. All in all, pigeons are what make Britain great. I agree with them. And now... A little song to for them. Do the steps of St. Paul's Simple 
fun. Spring is here, suffering is here, life is skittles and life is beer. I think the loveliest time of the year is the spring. I do. Don't you? Of course you do. But there's one thing that makes spring complete for me. And makes every Sunday a treat for me. All the world seems in tune on a spring afternoon when we're poisoning pigeons in the park. <laughs> every Sunday you'll see my sweetheart and me as we poison the pigeons in the park. It's from 2007. When they see us coming, the birdies all try and hide. But they still go for peanuts when coated with a cyanide. The sun's shining bright, everything seems all right when we're poisoning pigeons in the park. We've gained notoriety and caused much anxiety in the Audubon Society with our games. They call it impiety and lack of propriety and quite a variety of unpleasant names. But it's not against any religion to want to dispose of a pigeon. So if Sunday you're free, why don't you come with me and we'll poison the pigeons in the pot. And maybe we'll do in a squirrel or two while we're poisoning pigeons in the pot. We'll murder them all amid laughter and merriment. Oh my God. Except for the few we take home to experiment. My pulse will be quickening with each drop of strychnine we feed to a pigeon. It just takes a smidgen to poison a pigeon in the park. Oh dear God. Oh dear God. You're the famous fan of pigeons. I uh, know you've told this story a few times before, but explain how a pigeon was involved in you getting into your first... Oh, well, that, that's an interesting voice. I, I know you've explained this story a few times before, but I explain... <laughs> ...told this story a few times before, but explain how a pigeon was involved in you getting into your first fight. I had, um, had all these birds one day that, you know, um, that just suddenly popped up in this living room of mine. So some guy, I told some friends of mine from another neighborhood, and they had brought some other guys from the neighborhood to steal the birds. And this one guy stole one of the birds. After I got my mother, this is like a little whim. I got my mother to get my birds. Mom, help me. Right. And um, one guy put a bird in and ran out. So I ran after him, please give me my bird. Please, please, can I have my bird? Oh, you want your bird? It's smack me. You want this? And he bird ripped the bird head off, hit me with the bird, threw blood on me, smacked me around to my friends and Mike, fight him. Don't be afraid, fight him. And if he beat you up, I'll help. You know what I mean? 
he never planned on jumping in if I got my butt kicked. I know that. But um, I just fought, and it's not like I was sensational. I was just flaring away, and I guess I hit him more than he hit me, so I, I, I won, I guess. I so I was talking to your wife, Kiki, about your passion for pigeons, and she was telling me about how you'll sit down on your chair in the garage with the headphones on and just watch. How relaxing do you find it? It's just, I don't know, it's a part of my life. It's just like a guy that um, owns horses and watches his horses. I have cows. Uh, dogs, you know, it's just um, a part of your life. If you don't have them, like, it's a bad, um, a bad season, the disease come by, wipe you all out, you wait a while, then you get more. You know, I have too many as it is now, so I'm waiting for them to have the eggs, to have some babies, and then I'm gonna get rid of them and just raise the babies, because I have too many now. How many do you have? I don't know, I may have a hundred in there, and that's just too much for my garage, you know? And that's, um, that's the habit of sometimes, um, Having a hobby is a possibility, especially if it's livestock. You may um, have the tendency to have collect too many of them. It's a hundred. What you have altogether? Do you have more? Well, I have, I have a few thousand in New York City. Okay, that's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Your wife says you can tell what their emotions actually are. It's just. Um, How so? I don't know. It's just from um, trial and error. It's being around them since I was nine. You know, um, it's just easy, you know, just over and over, repetition, they're like us. They do the same thing over and over. What do you like about them? It's just my first love ever, birds, flying pigeons. I'm just an animal freak. You know, I know it sounds weird, I'm an animal freak. Even though Peter's always kicking my butt, but I mean, I love animals. Maybe I don't always know the best um, routine on how to fix them when they're sick or anything, but I just, this is just what I love, I love animals. What sort of caretaking's involved for them? It's a lot harder than you may anticipate, you know, they all need, um, they have to have this serum for all the medicine, like if you look in my refrigerator, you may see a whole conglomerate and dynamic of just animal medicine. Really? Yeah, yeah it's very important, they're very um, temperamental, their immune system and they just, um, they fall to pieces any moment. How much do you enjoy breeding them? I like breeding them more than I like flying them. It's just a part of my life. I know it sounds so ridiculous for somebody to hear some grown man flying from No, it's interesting. Birds, some, what the people think of them as rats with wings, but this is just, it's something that's cultural more than anything, more than a hobby. It's just people's culture. This is just what we do. What's a race like? A race is um, like somebody packing up a crate of a truck with probably a thousand birds. It depends on the race, 300 birds, 3,000 birds. And we let them go, and we see who gets there first. It's really amazing when they open up the hatch, and like all these pigeons, just thousands of them just fly. <laughs> and people might not understand this, but this is, you can take them 600 miles away, well, right? And they'll still come back to your coop? They're, they're, flown, they're birds that have flown longer than 600, but the record is just for 600 legally, where the birds is normally usually able to fly in one day. Anything more than that, I guess they're going to consider it animal cruelty. How about the pigeon you've had that has lived the longest? Oh, man. I think I, what, I had a 14-year-old bird before. See, the oldest pigeon I have now is the 2001 now. But I had um, 2000, 2001, yeah, but um, I had a bird before 14 before. How about the one you became most attached to? Or is there that attachment there? Yeah, there's one bird in there that I'm attached to, and this is really crazy. It's a solid white bird, and I really don't like solid white birds that much because they draw too much attention for birds of prey and stuff. Um, but I had this bird since 2001, and he's just a really, a really like it's a super stud guy. You know, he's been around. I had him and his brother, 
and um, they have produced a lot of cool birds. For more clips from this interview, visit Graham Bensinger. Well, in all actuality, this is my silver that I love. This is Mike Tyson's I love favorite pigeon. It's not necessarily the best fly in the fastest time, but it's just a bird that I'm, a, you know, have an affinity with. I'm attracted to. I like the, I love the stature, and um, it's just a color. I'm a color guy. I like the colors in the birds. This is, I think, is a stunning color. If you, you know. I'm sure many people will agree. When, when the racing business, people get some of the birds with the fastest time, the best. But the, the guy that's always the fastest time doesn't always fascinate me. He's just the winner. Of course, we have plenty of winners, but this one's the winner to me because he never gives up, and he's just um, a beautiful-looking bird, you know. And I guess um, I'm pretty shallow like most of society. I like looks as well as the performance, and she looks beautiful. Hmm. Rolling pigeons because when they they're, they're aerial birds. So they go in the air. There's some birds that come from Serbia, um, Yugoslavia where they're diving pigeons. They go in the air and they start diving down and real rollers. quick. And those pigeons pretty much aerial pigeons. These are pretty much aerial pigeons, but they do somersaults. Wow. As they as they fly around they, they do the somersaults and fly and tumble. And unfortunately some of them um, it's like a a vortex, a vortex, and so they go so fast they can't open up because of the air, the, the speed of the um, velocity, of the speed in the air, so they can't open their wings up in time to get foot. Wow! So we had a fan from Russia said that he had pigeons he wanted to give you. Hmm. Really? Yeah. That Remember? wasn't Russia, other country. No, it was, wasn't it Russia? Belgium? Belgium, I think. See, I know these countries off the top of my head, but um, the fact is that it's very difficult um, to receive pigeons from other countries because of diseases, and then they're going to be in a quarantine so long, and it's just almost too difficult. Gotcha. For it to be even done, it's so ridiculous even for it to be done right, they have to be um, brought illegally across uh, the country. By the time they get out of quarantine, they're probably sick. Uh, it probably is nice So which pigeons are the, would you consider the best? The homer pigeons are the, uh, the king of the breed. For a particular reason, because they're, um, the homer pigeons, they're, um, they're the pigeons of kings, <laughs> emperors. You know, that's what they do for bragging rights. Every royal family have uh, pigeons also. They can raise their pigeons. They've been doing it before Christ. Right. It's been around. Um, it's like Game of Thrones in the movie where they have the bird delivering yeah. the message. Also, the Borgias, if you watch the Borgias, Borgias, whatever they're talking about, they have pigeon coops too. You know, um, this is interesting. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, in Waterloo, when Napoleon was fighting um, the Russians in Waterloo and he was fighting, there was a soldier there and he let the, the pigeon go and the pigeon went to the house of Rothschild, I believe. And they bet every, so they knew the information beforehand, so they bet everything they had on Wilmington to win the war. Great that story. Thing. Yeah. You knew that too? I didn't know that.
That's a lot of work. There's Pigeon John that I just mentioned earlier, the, the Twitter page. Oops. Did I want to do Yeah. Oh. Um. Oh, look. Here's some PETA articles on pigeon racing. Investigation exposes pigeon racing cruelty. Tell the Taiwanese government to ban deadly pigeon races over... Over the ocean. Oh. Tell him I won't sugarcoat anything. We don't have legal casinos. casinos. Taiwanese people uh, like gambling, and that's why they raise uh, pigeons. Traveling in Taiwan, you see pigeon moths everywhere. But paradoxically, it's a completely underground industry fueled by billions of dollars in illegal gambling. In Zhongzhen Clock, the bad money is. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Well, yeah. So, I was gonna share another. Actually, first, before I do that. I'm going to try something. Oops. I want to try playing something on my phone by plugging it in here into the aux. Let's see. Uh, Where is it? It's not it. Guy's gone. Oh, here. I think this is it. that works I'm glad it works
Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. So then I was going to share a quote. Got a little distracted. <laughs> but that's cool that that works. I haven't tried that before. Alrighty. Ah, yes. Okay. This is gonna get this is gonna get really complicated. <laughs> but <laughs> it goes back to this quote that I saw heard from Neil deGrasse Tyson, he said the universe will end not with a bang, but with a whimper. And not with fire, but with ice. And that just kind of made me think. It, and then I like to compare that with uh, with uh, this podcast I was listening to, which was it was the latest episode of Sean Carroll's podcast Mindscape but he talked about entropy in there he talked about how over time entropy is increasing so for example we're getting very low entropy energy from the sun which we're taking and we're, we're, we're a little I'll use the quote right here um, I'm, I'm going to say a Sean Carroll quote and Neil deGrasse Tyson Cosmologists will talk about forming black holes and then evaporating, and, and biologists will talk about all of these complex structures acting as entropy engines, right? I mean, that's what life does in some sense. We're just little entropy engines. And uh, I'll give you an, uh, an official definition of entropy here. So, in physics, it's a thermodynamic quantity representing the unavailability of a system's thermal energy for conversion into mechanical work, often interpreted as the degree of disorder or randomness in the system. Um, let me see if I can find one that's a little more clearly de uh, defined for lay people like yourselves. Um, but basically it's the disorder and so there's some things that are lower uh, entropy than others so like the sun's energy is fairly low entropy and then it goes to us where it's fairly lower order because it's all just kind of contained in you know just the energy it's contained in that but as it gets to earth then it gets to like it gets to the plants the plants take that and they use that energy to it's the energy is spread out completely creating more disorder by it goes into the leaves over here the roots down here that's creating more entropy and the animals come and like a deer comes in and eats some leaves and now the entropy is spread out even more the energy there's more entropy now and the deer is eaten by a tiger and that, so as you can see Animals are entropy machines, essentially. But, and at the before the Big Bang, everything was in a 
tiny, tiny amount of space, and it was very, very low entropy. I'll see it. Let me see how big this. How Okay, so most physics, um, the entire observable universe was roughly a million, billion, billion times smaller than a single atom. Okay, everything was in there. All the information was packed into there, very low entropy. But as it spread out, the entropy increases, and living beings increase the entropy even more. Okay, now we can get more to the original quote, which is, the universe ending not with a bang but with silence with a whimper and not with fire but with ice so everything spread out eventually all the stars die yeah. so some of them tur turn more into red giants like our sun and eventually even that will disappear it won't even be a red giant we'll just be gone and other stars that are big enough, they'll they'll collapse into a black hole. Eventually, the universe will be nothing but black holes. Of course, all of us will long be dead. But everything will be gone. It'll be ice. Classical physics. 
You just got rickrolled. <laughs> that was fun. Okay, so I was just listening to this other podcast, Sam Harris. And Sam was talking to, uh, what's her name? Megan Phelps Roper. And uh, this is going to get really dark here, so buckle up. Megan Phelps Roper. And she grew up, her grandfather started this church, the Westboro Baptist Church. And it's awful, obviously. Everything it does is completely awful. It literally hates everybody that's not them. It hates uh, LGBT people, Catholics, Orthodox Christians, atheists, Muslims, Jews, U.S. soldiers, politicians. It wishes for babies to die, 
for Muslim for military debt for it it's really truly awful there's nothing good I can think about this church but her grandfather started this and she grew up in it and she left uh, her, the, her other family is still in it I think her, her sister left too but it's just really sad these people and they'll go and they'll they'll picket or protest at a variety of things like they'll go to for example like a funeral for a veteran and they'll say stuff like uh, um, kill more veterans and stuff like that and just awful stuff obviously but and uh, it's been you know, it's obviously and um, understandably been labeled a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center and for, for obvious reasons, because it is a hate group, obviously, with its its um, common slogan, which I don't think I'm going to repeat. But if you want to look that up, then you'll see the slogan. But obviously, just awful. And it was an interesting podcast. Actually, I'm still listening to it right now because it just came out. So I'll see how that goes. Should be interesting conversation with Sam Harris. Um, now to get myself out of that depressing hole, let's read some Google reviews of this place. Um, I'm seeing some some very uh, interesting comments here. So, for example, people, one person gave the church. Five stars on Google reviews said, Asian massage parlor in the back is amazing. We started my friend's bachelor party here in hopes to get a happy ending, and we weren't disappointed. All the other guys were a little hesitant, but not me. All the whips, strippers, and T-shaped dildos inspired me. It was one happy ending after another. Thank you. I don't know if you're at the right place, dude. And here's a person that obviously is a dick. I'm pretty sure this is a real comment. Person just kind of complimented the church. I'm, they might be they might be saying it sarcastically. I can't really tell. They, it doesn't look like they are, but yeah. But here's a person that's obviously being sarcastic. Here, the person said, "Awesome bunch of people, just top notch." I once attended a service and I love the way I was repeatedly told I was useless and deserve hell nearly every three minutes. I love the way he slammed just about everyone and his preaching to take us back to the Stone Ages. Really appealed to me. I love to live in a cave and go hunting, not sit in a comfortable warm house with my family, computer, and TV. The late Phelps Senior could go easy on the collection plate next time. Not look down on, on me because I only wanted to give a dollar. <laughs> well, here's another person that seems a little too positive about it. Um, here's another comment that said, The best Chinese dog I've ever had in my life. The, ooh, the fetuses were delicious as well. They'll never give you, give you up. They will never let you down. Never gonna run around and desert you. Never, go, ever, never gonna make you cry. Never going to say goodbye. Never going to tell a lie. It hurts you. Oh!
that's going to be about wrap it up for me here so thank you ladies and gentlemen for watching and if you made it to the end thus far it means that you have an amazing amazing attention span for the internet most people can can't even stay on a podcast or video for more than 10 20 minutes before they lose attention but you are a true wonder you you may you give me hope that there's that there's just a tiny ray of sunshine at the end of the dark tunnel. And I know that with more people like you, that we are going to have a bright, prosperous future.
full of intelligent, strong young men and women. Okay? Now, do the fuck you want. Alright? It's been lit, fam. Namaste. I gotta go. The police are after me. I'm sorry. I'm friend. Goodbye. This has been Point Counterpoint with KUSD University of St. Thomas Campus Radio. Your host, Chris Wright.